as we heard from the Psalms this morning, there is a theme of creation and praise. There is a theme of God's greatness being so transcendent that creation can't help itself. This is, of course, in response to God's revelation of himself to us. The lectionary reading of Psalm 19 is paired with Exodus 20, which is the giving of the law, Israel receiving a covenant at Sinai. And it's interesting to see the juxtaposition of creation bursting with praise and the psalmist bursting with praise in response to the law. This morning, I'm preaching the second part or the second half, sort of of a singular coin, if you will, uh, ancient wisdom and childlike joy. And last Sunday, we talked about ancient wisdom and the value, the import of grounding ourselves in, of being tethered to the ancient wisdom of the Christian community that for now some 2,000 years has been worshiping God as a continued expression of what God had been doing in the, earth, in the earth through the Hebrew people and the covenant that they had. And so this morning, I want you to see this as the other half of that coin. And I want you to make sure if you haven't listened to last week's sermon that you try to make that happen so that this will make sense because they work together. And my disclaimer this morning is this, of course, is not meant to be a comprehensive uh, talk. There's a lot that can be said about these things. But the Psalms are the place where we find all of these instructions, all of these insights in how to praise God. Eugene Peterson, who's one of my favorite writers, he says, everything that a person can possibly feel, experience, and say is brought into expression before God in the Psalms. Everything that you could feel, experience, or say is brought before God in the Psalms, spoken by a good Presbyterian. Everything that you could want to get out of your person, it's in the Psalms, where you hear expressions like, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all the earth, which I think includes us. Shout to God, which I think includes us. C.S. Lewis wrote an entire book in his reflections on the Psalms. And I'm going to be referencing him a lot this morning because I think his work as an Anglican is ironically very helpful, right? So he's somebody who's speaking from the ancient wisdom of the church and yet devoted an entire work to the Psalms. And he says of the Psalm that we just heard, it is so much better than paganism than the real pagans ever did. Why? He's talking about this idea that creation, the heavens, have this sort of spirituality to them. They have this worship component to them that often we as evangelicals have dismissed and thought of as spooky, but it's in our Bible. This work of the sun and the moon and the stars. And he says, it's so much better than uh, real pagans ever did. I take this, the psalm we just heard, to be the greatest poem in the Psalter 
and one of the greatest lyrics in the world. That's what you just heard read this. You didn't know you were reading one of the greatest lyrics in the world this morning. It's true. It's true. Heaven's declaring, even though they don't have words, and I can't help but wonder this morning if there's some sort of connection here to what happens in Jesus' triumphal entry. There are two gospel texts that talk about something that happens, and we can argue whether or not they're the same thing told from a different angle or two possible incidents. I like to think of them as two, but uh, in Luke 19, if you have your Bible, you can turn there. In Luke 19, uh, at verse 37, it says, As he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to Praise God, look at this, joyfully with a loud voice. But there was a reason for all the deeds of power that they had seen. Now, can I ask you a rhetorical question this morning? Have you ever seen God do a work of power? And if the answer to that question is yes, have you ever felt the freedom to respond to it the way that these people do in this text? Look at what they're saying loudly and joyfully. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, exclamation point. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven, exclamation point. Look at this. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, order your disciples to stop. Now listen, some of our churches, not this one, some of our churches have these sorts of folks in them. But I'm going to make something even a worse accusation, okay? Some of us have those little Pharisees living inside of us. When you're in church and this team, they picked such a perfect set today, and they're saying, it's your breath in my lungs. And, oh! if, you, if, you, if you have those little voices and you say, listen, Check yourself before you wreck yourself. Now, it's funny. I, I look through so many translations when I'm preparing a message. The Jerusalem Bible, it, the Pharisees actually say, check your disciples. That's the actual translation they have there. Like, you better check yourself before you get all emotional. But look at what Jesus says in verse 40. And this is what I want us to try and volley this in our mind with this 19th Psalm. I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. More paganism from Jesus. But then this scene in its alternate telling, if you will, in Matthew 21. In Matthew 21, if we look at verse 14, it says, The blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he cured them. And maybe these were the works of power talked about in the other texts. But when the chief priests and scribes saw the amazing things he did, and look at this, heard the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David. Look at this. They became angry. We see this theme, right? We see this echo. God does amazing stuff. And there's something in some people that responds with volume, boisterous, exclamation points on the paper, observable. They weren't like thrilled in their heart. 
their body found out about this thrill and let everybody know. And what's the response? Anger. Shut it down. And who's making these responses? Not just, it's a cheap answer to say religious people. That's a, that's a low blow. Can we take it a step further and say highly committed and highly educated people of faith? Whenever you see the word scribe in the text, the scribe is talking not just of a theologian but of a scholar. These are scholars. They say, do you hear what these people are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read? And now he's going back into what many argue is the other great psalm, Psalm 8. Out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise for yourself. Some translations say perfected praise for yourself. The mouth of babies. And this now, my brain, I'm just giving you my sort of internal stream of consciousness, the way my brain works. I'm thinking of Matthew 18. Not the one, if you're offended, you call him out in front of the whole church. But at the beginning of Matthew 18, (laughs) the very beginning of that text, listen to what Jesus says. First verse. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a child whom he put among them and said, truly, I tell you, Unless, look at this, unless you change and become like children. What does that imply to us? They're not like children when he says this. He's saying you need to repent. You need to change your thinking here and become like children or else you will what? Never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now we hear a lot of verbs here like inherit the kingdom of heaven. He's saying you can't forget inheriting it. You can't even get into it unless you change and become. Change and become like a child, childlike. Can I make a very quick point here and say there's a difference between childlike and childish? Okay? Childish is indulgent. Childish is immature. Childish is what I think of when the psalmist, or excuse me, when the wisdom writer says in Proverbs, a fool gives full vent to his spirit. I almost wanted to go off onto a little tangent about parenting, but I'm not going to do that right now. But just remember the Bible does say a fool gives full vent to his spirit. That's what I think of when I think of childish. Childlike, I think of appropriately unfiltered responses to things. Why are those responses unfiltered? Uh, Because there is a healthy lack of ego in children. A a, a good lack of self-consciousness. Of course, that changes and that age is getting much younger, unfortunately, now in our culture. Um, but there is that healthy lack of self-awareness that is pure, where you're enjoying a thing for the thing's sake, and you're not wondering whether or not you should be enjoying it so much. 
Again, I told you I'd be leaning heavily into Clive, into C.S. Lewis today. What does he say? He says, all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise unless, sometimes even if, shyness or the fear of boring others is deliberately brought into, here it is, check it. I should have renamed this sermon, check yourself. Uh, <laughs> And look at this, and just as men and women spontaneously praise whatever they value, can we just stop here and let him preach to us? Do we have this capacity to spontaneously and in a childlike, unfiltered way praise whatever we value? Look at this, so that they spontaneously urge us to join them in praising it. That's what a worship leader should be doing. Those of us who lead in praise and worship, we have one responsibility. Be absolutely awed with Jesus. So awed and so amazed that we can't contain our spontaneous joy and overflow. And like a child, we come before a group of people and we spread the disease. We spread the infection. We cough, as Bishop Ed would say, all over y'all. Does anybody remember silly bands? Right? Does anybody remember, like, the Pokemon people going around everywhere, like they're just standing in random places holding their phone? Remember that? We'll go back a little bit. Does anybody remember Tickle Me Elmo? I'll keep dating myself until I get a better response. Some of you are still so grumpy when you're looking at me. (laughs) Cabbage Patch Kids. Anybody remember Cabbage Patch Kids? And it goes on and on and on. And what are, what are all of these things that I've just listed, and we know that there are a lot more, and they continue even to this day, these are things that kids get obsessed with. My daughter, who's not in the room, my youngest, Lena, uh, so I can say this, and she won't know until her sister tells her this version of this story, but she has found a card game. And you know that we're free in Jesus when the pastor is talking about card games from the pulpit. <laughs> and not only that, it's not just any card game. The name of the card game is B.S., for, like ba- for, for Bachelor of Science. I think that's what it is. I still haven't picked up on it. But this girl is so in love with this card game that she's become a full-on, like, awarded nag. That was a joke, by the way. Everybody's like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> like, oh. No, but it, she has this tenacity. Dad, do you want to play BS? No, I don't want to play that game with you. Dad, do you want to play? No, I don't. Well, here's the thing. She still has this unfiltered joy for something she's found that amazes her and enthralls her, and she doesn't care that she's irritating me to death. It doesn't bother her at all. Now, here's the thing. She has, she, there's not a manipulative bone in her body. She doesn't have an agenda. She just enjoys this and wants me to enjoy it because she loves me. And she thinks, if I love this, clearly, you have to love this as much as I do. <laughs> Guess what, Lena? Not so much. <laughs> and, th- and this also hits on a key problem when it comes to the issue of corporate praise and what we do when we get together, okay? Yes, it needs to be anchored into the ancient liturgies of the church. But that anchor shouldn't be an albatross that hangs around our neck. 
That liturgy is meant to tether us. It's meant to give us foundation. It's meant to protect us. It is not meant to drag us down into the depths of the sea and drown us in monotony and ritualism. But the flip side of that coin is when we talk about expressing who we are in our praise, we're not, we should not be thinking that we add anything to God by being here this morning. For anybody who comes from Pentecostal or charismatic backgrounds and maybe even evangelical backgrounds, let me say this to you. We cannot manipulate God by singing louder, longer, faster, slower, jumping higher, clapping harder. God doesn't go, okay, well, you know what? Now I got to show up. God doesn't get to the end of our church service and say, well, sanctuary really turned it out today. I'm going to have a good day today. That doesn't happen. You and I are not capable of adding or taking away from God. So can we please strike from our hearts and our minds, and I'll probably be saying this to the day that I die, that our worship, our praise, when it goes up, it does not force any blessings to come down. Listen, we can run around the room and cut ourselves with knives, and God will not send fire to the altar. Praise is an expression of our worship. It's part of our worship. Praise is not the fast songs and worship is the slow songs. Praise is not a synonym for worship. They're not the same thing. The first time worship shows up in your Bible is Genesis 22. When Abraham goes to kill his son, he describes it as a worship service. It's not integrity, Hosanna. It's a knife. It's wood. It's hot tears running down the cheeks of an old man who never thought God would come through, and now that he has, he's taking him away. That's worship. Within that, we find something called praise. And praise is this physical, expressive reality. It is always a response, as we saw in the gospel text that we looked at. It's an express to a response to God's amazingness. It's a response to God's power. It's a response to God's faithfulness. It's a response to God's mercy. It's a response to the love of God. More CS, I'm sorry. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy. I love this line. Because the praise not only expresses, but completes the enjoyment. It is appointed consummation. In commanding us to glorify him, God is inviting us to enjoy him. Have you ever felt like when you read the Psalms, they're very bossy? Okay, it's just me. It's all right. (laughs) Woo! It's okay. I'd invite you to maybe read the Psalms as bossy because they do tell us You know, clap your hands, all you people. All y'all, clap your hands. You know, that sort of thing. It's like, whoa, hey, it's not my personality. Now, I'm not in any way bossing anybody around. And I don't really think that the essence of praise is something that can be insisted upon 
Because at that point, there's nothing spontaneous about it, and there's nothing of it that speaks to this sort of enjoyment. It speaks to control. Did that make sense? Okay. But I think those passages that maybe even feel a little bit bossy, sing to the Lord a new song, praise, let everything that has breath praise the Lord, and lots of exclamation points. I think at some point we have to consider that the Psalms reveal to us a broad range of possible responses. In other words, the Psalms are giving us permission to exult in God's goodness fully as humans. Not, as Bishop Ed would say, brains on a stick. Is that not fair? Where we shouldn't be the sort of people who are intellectually loving God, but leaving off all the other ways we're commanded to love God. You know, all of the commandments that the psalmist was exulting in as we heard this text, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The law of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. It is more desirable than gold. It is sweeter than honey when it hits your lips. He's saying all these things about the law of God. And Jesus said this, the law of God can be summed up here. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and... And... That's kind of ironic, right? And strength. The beauty of it is that when we can love God just with our mind, everything is internalized. The moment we start to get the heart and soul, the guts of who we are, the emotions of who we are, we have to consider maybe how we're designed as human beings, governed by a spirit, processing with a mind that takes that information and filters it through our emotions to our physical bodies. And what happens is, in many of our circles, the work of the Spirit hits our mind and it ends there. Because the moment it goes from our mind into our emotions, things get risky. We risk emotionalism. We risk indulgence. Emotions are dangerous things. If you've dated for a little bit of time, you know I'm telling the truth and you should have said amen. I'm convinced that the Anglo-Western culture, I said that very intentionally, like I reworked my notes there a couple times, the Anglo-Western culture often struggles to engage the emotional and physical dimensions of who we are in our praise. The problem is our faith is not rooted in Anglo culture. You see, we got in on something that is Hebrew culture, which is very earthy, very expressive. It is very bold. It is very physical. I've personally stood at the Western Wall and watched the men pray there. And they're always moving because their life is a flickering flame before God. Fact is, we shouldn't be closing off parts of ourselves in our praise. We shouldn't be closing off parts of ourselves when we gather together as a community because he is Lord 
of our heart, our soul, and our body as much as he is of our mind. Our worship, our praise is holistic. It's all-encompassing. It's the reason, one of the reasons, we come to this table every Sunday. And we're eating and we're drinking because we believe as sacramental people that God's work is not limited to the invisible. It is very visible, very tangible. You can taste it. You can smell it, literally. And if we're going to be those sacramental people, we have to hope in some mysterious, amazing way that when God touches something on Sunday, it spins out into our week. Let me give you an example. That because this table exists, the table in my dining room can have supernatural possibilities. Wouldn't that be amazing? If God shows up at this table, why can't he show up at my table? If God makes his presence known in the bread and in the cup, why can't he make his presence known in my wife's tray of lasagna? I submit that he does. You see, worship that is grounded in ancient wisdom yet insists upon childlike joy is worship that engages the whole person. When children encounter something that amazes them, they don't think about it. They think about it and their body cannot help itself from letting you know what they thought about it. Our intellects, our psyches, our bodies all need the touch of heaven every day. And this is why we're invited repeatedly to offer all of who we are in our praise. You see, when we come in this room, I would submit to you that it's appropriate for us to shout in this room. Don't worry, I'm not going to make you do it. Saying it's okay. It's okay. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) It's allowable. Might even be encouraged. Why? Have you ever shouted outside of this room? Have you ever shouted inappropriately outside of this room? We need to bring our shout and let it originate in this room. Because maybe then all of the shouting that we do outside of this room will submit to the shouting we do in this room. Wouldn't it be good if the touch of God was so on our shout that we only used it to celebrate and we never used it to express our anger? Clap your hands, all you people. These hands are not for striking. These hands are not for flipping off. These hands are for clapping. These hands are for raising, which is why we do that in this room because we're sacramental people. And I believe that if I bring bread and a cup and a shout and a clap and maybe a jump or something crazy, (laughs) a lot of people aren't laughing. It's okay. You know, I did it for everybody. I'm still alive. Um, what am I saying, though? What am I saying, though? And, I, and please understand, I'm not trying to use cheap humor. It is funny to watch me jump, but I'm not trying to use cheap humor because there's a lot going on, and a lot of us have been in weird situations where things get out of control, and I'm not saying that. Like I said, last week, ancient wisdom, ancient wisdom, keep ourselves tethered but not our feet nailed to the floor. Okay? When I bring all of these things, 
into a sacramental situation in which I believe the Holy Spirit touches physical stuff, my week can be different. Because my voice and my hands and my feet were all presented to God on Sunday when I gathered with his people, which is the day in which we celebrate that God raised Jesus physically from the dead. Can I offer this possibility that what will not be offered cannot be blessed? What will not be offered cannot be blessed. If you insist on holding in your emotions, do not expect God to bless those emotions. If you will not express physicality and you insist on holding it in, don't express, expect God to bless it. Love the Lord your God with all. This is why he says it. Because he wants to bless your heart. He wants to bless your soul. He wants to bless your mind. And he wants to bless your strength. And what blessing looks like may not be what we expect. The interaction of God's action, our responsive praise, and his response to our response, it's all mysterious. It is not formulaic. It is not praises go up and blessings come down. It is not that. It is a mystery like the heavens declaring the glory with no speech. It is a mystery like childlikeness being essential for kingdom greatness. So I'll close with this thought from G.K. Chesterton. I'll get it out of my mouth. It might be true that the sun rises regularly because he never gets tired of rising. His routine might be due not to a lifelessness, but to a rush of life. The thing I mean can be seen, for instance, in children when they find some game or joke that they specially enjoy. Hello, Lena. A child kicks his legs rhythmically through excess, not the absence of life. Because children have abounding vitality, because they are in spirit fierce and free, therefore they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead. (laughs) For grown-up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun. And every evening, do it again to the moon. It may be that he has the eternal appetite for infancy. For we have sinned and grown old, and our father is younger than we are. Let's pray. God, you are great and you are greatly to be praised. I pray for all of us in this room this morning who have allowed sin and culture, precedent and personality to cordon off parts of who we are 
so that we would be comfortable with ancient wisdom, but we would be nervous about childlike joy. God, I pray for all of us this morning. Let your grace be poured out upon us. Holy Spirit, I invite you now in this moment to permeate, invade, go through the halls of our hearts and help us change and become like children. For we all want to enter the kingdom for which we pray. Help us embrace the possibilities of childlike joy to the glory of Jesus. In whose name we pray.